Welcome to Live Committed. It's a central platform for the Ariel Tribe community, where we believe in the individuals about executing the discipline of standards plus habits are going to equal results in their life. On this podcast, we want to provide a space where you can learn to grow through conversations and connection with other people to reach the highest vision that you have for yourself, mind, body, and spirit. And at Ariel Tribe, we are passionate about results. So whether you're feeling stuck in your business, your marriage, your spiritual journey, or whatever's going on in your life, we would love to invite you to the tribe to learn how you can live a committed life. You can always visit us at www.ariel-tribe.com. That's A-R-I-E-L-tribe.com to learn more about who we are and how to get connected to the tribe. So Aaron, let's get on with the show. What's up, tribe? We're back. And uh, this is going to be a different episode. I am Aaron, and I'm not here with my partner in crime, Jason J.J. Jenkins. I have a, a, he's off working and traveling and recovering from his big event that we've been talking about on the, uh, at, on the podcast. He's, we're already talking about how we're going to build our episode around that. He's just got some great lessons to teach us about that. But I have done something that's kind of fun. I have brought in a uh, friend of mine who is an avid listener to the podcast and who I think has some some good uh, insight on a lot of the principles that we talk about on our show. So uh, I want to introduce to you um, Bradley Kruger, who is here with us all the way from Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. So Bradley, tell us a little bit about yourself. Man, Aaron, I'm so thankful to be here. Yeah, the the Ariel Tribe and the podcast has been such a blessing to us and our company, and and you've just been such a long term friend and mentor. And uh, just to be able to be here with you today is incredible. So thank you for that. Um, but yeah, I you know I grew up in small town Moscow, Idaho, which is where Aaron and I connected way back when. Um, I as a little guy, my parents were insane. They poured their lives into me to chase my dreams. So I was blessed to be able to be ranked kind of top 10 in the country in wrestling growing up. And then I transitioned to motocross and was kind of a top 10 guy in that as well. Um, got injured a bunch, but definitely that need for greatness and uh, to be able to develop that and then took those principles to school and then ultimately to business. And along the way, you know, just watching God work and pour into me and have keep me alive. One, I've been in over 70 pieces. So my uh, orthopedic surgeon said, you know, you got two choices when it comes to your career for right now, stem cell research or physical therapy. Otherwise, you're not walking when you're 40. So <laughs> I went and became a physical therapist. But uh, yeah, watching God take care of me and move. And then um, one of the things growing up that always happened to me, my mom was super intentional with our disciplines of um, the Bible and everything. And um, just absolutely incredible with that, where I told her one night, we're reading the Bible and I'm like 11 years old. I'm like, mom, there's a problem. She's like, what's your, what's the problem? I'm like, it's the Bible. It's the truth. I'm like, all I see is paddle locks. There is so much more here. It's just obvious. Mm-hmm. And I can't touch it. I don't have the keys. I had torn my ACL when I was 16 years old. And she's like, Bradley, I came across this CD. You got to listen to it. And it was, um, your Easter service uh, on Fruit of the Spirit. Mm. And that was, as I was listening to that, I'm broken. I got my leg elevated. I can picture the recliner, everything that I'm in. And I thought literally a key showed up in my brain. Mm. I'm like, that matters. That is context. Those are things. That's a key to when I was 11 because I had never forgotten that vision. 
and then getting around you and then getting around Marty. And it was like keys to the kingdom. And then it was like, how do I live this out in the context of where I am? Um, that has kind of been my journey since. Yeah. And you've, you've had, uh, you've been fortunate to have some pretty incredible mentors. Oh man. Yeah. That would be my greatest piece of advice for anybody listening to this. If you don't have a mentor, like pray for one. Um, yeah, I was on one hand, you know, growing up, I always had, you know, I had a brother who was still born two years before me. My parents weren't supposed to be able to have kids. I think that literally there was a group of people I just spoke to last week and I think they prayed me into existence. Mm. Um, because that was devastating for my parents. Sure. Um, but my mom was reading my brother's obituary, and they had chosen my name, and my life psalm was right next to it. And she was sort of, it was a clear sign to her to have me. Mm. Um, so being in that of, I've looked for somebody two years older in every season of my life, mm. and I've always had one. So I've always had a brother to sharpen my iron who was greater than I was, who pushed me like crazy. Mm. Um so that was one piece of kind of that type of brotherly mentorship. But then having you, I have a business mentor. Um, I have a specific, I have two mentors in the field that I'm in who pour into me, who I ask questions to. And it's okay to feel stupid um, because people who have a lot of knowledge I've learned generally want to teach. Yeah. Because they have so much, but there's a context that they can't just speak that to everybody because the relationship's not there. And so I've had four different accounts where people took me to breakfast or lunch to hire me, talk to me and said, it is obvious to me that you have a different path, but I still want to invest into you. And so that is just something I have been absolutely blessed with, mm. absolute mentors um, and different seasons. At one point, all of us lived within 10 miles of each other. And now I think we live like as far across in the United States. But for me... Um, I at least quarterly make sure I reach out to all you guys. You're one of my five. Yeah. Um, to make sure that that relationship is built. And for me, my cup overflows because of it. And so literally I have like my five mentors on my shoulders almost all day where I'll come into somebody will say something and it's like, oh, that's Aaron or oh, that's Paul. Oh, that's Marty. And then thinking of how you guys discern that situation literally plays in my brain. Mm. Um, and when I think of even discipleship and those different pieces and mentorship is my words should somewhat sound like what you guys say. Like I've embodied that enough. I've listened to you guys enough um, and humbled myself enough that that's good to do. And I'm so appreciative to have those relationships and it's propelled me forward. You know, even in the Jewish culture, I love the idea of uh, I'm as old as I can remember a story or a lesson from a previous generation. So I can be four or 500 years old. Um, and that's for me being 27 and my best friend's tombstone says, it's not the years, it's the miles. Yeah. And so I've been road hard, put away dirty a little bit, <laughs> but a lot of miles on this young body, but uh, blessed to have the knowledge and the mentorship that I've had. That's awesome. And I want to just state for the record, for anybody that's listening to this, to this episode at 27 years old, to have the um, mental wherewithal to realize the need <clears throat> for investment rather than the need to constantly be proving yourself, which is where a lot of 20 year olds in, in stepping into business world for the first time, like I got something to prove. I have chip on my shoulder. I can figure this out on my own. I don't need anybody's help for you to come in and go, no, no, no. I want everybody's help, but people that are for sure where I want to go. Yeah. These are already people that have walked the road that I want to walk. And so I want to make sure that they're there. I, I just feel like there's a, there's a level of wisdom in that that most people in their 20s don't. And, and it's the one piece that I think if I could give them something to say, this will benefit you uh, in, in your 20s, in, in starting in your life, whatever career path you're on, doesn't matter. 
the the one thing that I would say is get people who are where you want to go and get them investing in your life. Yeah, you know, I think that's spot on. And I would say with this too of you need to know what you want. The issue with that is we have a culture where you don't have to figure out your identity until you're 30. Yeah. You should be figuring out what you want clear when you're 10, 11, 12, 13 years old. You know, for me, if I felt like I should have completed high school when I was in junior high. So I was blessed to have parents. I was chasing the motocross dream. I wanted to go live in Southern California at 15. My parents didn't have the finances. They were blue collar, hard ass workers to give us the opportunities that they did. And I missed the first week of high school to go to a national. And they, I came back and the school board said, yeah, you got to go meet with everybody. And my dad goes, no, go find a homeschool program rather than go do it. You're going to go live your dream. We'll figure everything else out. Um, but you got to know what you want. And in business, the tool that we use for that is a vivid vision document. There's a book on it. It's incredible. If you haven't done that for your company, if you don't have a clear view of where you're going, but even that far, if you're not in that position of leadership, do it for your own life. Step out of the hamster wheel society. It was a book that I kind of drafted when I was in grad school of break the hamster wheel society. Who are you and who are you supposed to be? The parable that Marty always says is the, uh, the rabbi wakes up in the morning, goes and visit the king, travels all day has a message he wants to give the king. And the gatekeeper says, who are you and what is your purpose? And the rabbi asked him, how much does the king pay you a day? He goes, 50 denarii. He goes, I'll pay you double to sit at the foot of my bed and ask you me your original question every morning. Who are you and what is your purpose? You should be answering that question potentially daily, especially if you don't have a good answer. Mm -hmm. You got to figure that guy out. Yeah. And we've talked about that on in past episodes like that. So how do you figure that out? We've, we've got episodes on that. Yeah. Um, those low cost probes and, and getting people. And again, I, this is just a, such an advocate for mentorship, getting people to speak into your, what do you see being humble enough to hear it yeah. and, and willing and passionate enough to act on it. Well, and I think too, that for me is realizing what I was capable of by myself. One, everything that I did first chasing sports I had to accept my parents' resources. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't do that. Then I got to a place where actually I was had a few resources. And then I was telling you the other night of the moment when I won my first uh, motocross national race and I got back to the trailer and I was more alone and broken than ever. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this is what I sold my life for. This isn't worth anything. So I had to go find guys. You were, I was so blessed to have you as one of them of, so what is the meaning of life? Yeah. There's got to be more than this. Yeah. Because if I'm even making good money, you know, and as a young kid and a kind of an amateur professional sport, I'm making decent money. That ain't going to do it. Uh, I got to college and I started looking around and go, this is what I sacrificed in high school. And you guys are still doing this. This sure as hell ain't going to do it. Yeah. So the alcohol, the girl, that's not going to do it. So what is going to give me this fulfillment? Because it's not going to be money, power, greed, none of those things. I got to find something better and I got to find keys to the kingdom. And for me, and then being able to be called into business is how do I live those principles out there? Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, I, I'm just, I love listening to you talk, Bradley, just because um, the wisdom in what you're saying beyond your years is so, so good. But I, I think we were talking about this earlier this morning, the, we talk a lot on this show about needing needing a purpose. Needing, we need a mountain to climb. Yep. We just got to make sure it's the right mountain. Correct. Because you can put a lot of energy into motocross and then you go back and sit alone in your trailer and go, and what's next? Like, so yay, I got it. What's the meaning beyond the achievement? Yes. If, if it's just achievement for achievement's sake, then, then that winds up being pretty shallow, pretty empty. 
And the hard part in business is I watch this, you know, I'm kind of in a realm of a lot of different kind of young business leaders who are starting to take over business is a lot of this generation who sold their life and they're getting ready to go to retirement and they realize they climbed the wrong mountain. Yeah. Don't wait until you're 65, 70 and then go golf, realize you're alone and your legacy and your kids want nothing to do with you because you sacrificed business and now you have no purpose to live. Right. Don't get to that point. Figure that out in your fit, in your teens, in your 20s, in your 30s. Surround yourself with people. Learn the lessons. Don't have to go recreate them. You know, I love the idea of um, experience is learning from your own failures. Wisdom is learning from others. Go learn from other people's failures. Yeah. I don't need to go off the path to go trip over a stone. If somebody's moved the stone off the path, then just just uh, tell the story of that, but don't go trip over it just because. And pe- my experience is people are very willing to share with you. If you're like, hey, I'm thinking about walking this road. Tell me what I should be aware of. People will be like, oh man, let me tell you what I did. And it was terrible. You know, they, they people are very willing to share that stuff. Well, once you, you know, we were talking about this too, of once you've experienced pain, like real pain, you put yourself out there, you're vulnerable and you've been cut. You would never wish that upon your worst enemy. Yeah. And so if you've built a relationship, like even you and I, if there's anything that you can give to me because you see potential in me, you want that to be able to go as far as possible. Right. We've talked about this too, of the difference between discipleship and different things is actually wanting people to be better than yourself in a certain arena. That's also one that's a massive kicker in our culture because people yeah. want to lead from dominance. But if you can lead from empowerment, actually want to see people become their best... That for me is one of the biggest things in business that we've been able to use, but in life. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about what you do for business. Yeah. So my journey was a physical therapist by trade. Uh, so I went, did undergrad in three years. I did my doctorate in three years. Uh, jumped into, I was determined from all my broken injuries. And one of my mentors also was a, a orthopedic surgeon who was an absolute stud. He was the guy who told me you need to go to physical therapy or stem cell research. So um, knew I needed to go into healthcare. And so physical therapy was the choice. Um, I was going to start my own clinic right out of school at our hometown, had the connections. And then God was kind of knocking on my heart of, no, you need to potentially go to Coeur d'Alene. So my wife had connections there. My brother-in-law had a connection to a guy who was one of the giants there and said, you got to, if you want to go into physical therapy, you got to talk to this guy. So I went, uh, talked to him and it was like, you know, you get that feeling. I try and be in tune to that feeling of five minutes into the conversation. It was, I'm going to work with this guy mm-hmm. for sure. And so we talked about, I told about the business plans that I wrote in undergrad. I tried to help therapists who were in, you know, in business. I, in my life, I watched my parents, my dad work over a hundred hours a week. He busted his ass for us of through all of that and experience. I have two hearts in leadership in business is great people who have been overworked and underappreciated and leaders being alone. Mm-hmm. And so instantly when I was talking to the owner that I work for now was he had both. And I was like, I need to, I want to love on that. Yeah. Um, so we talked about all of those different things and, uh, he left the conversation, tells the story. And I was like, man, who's this punk kid who thinks he's going <laughs> to open up businesses and clinics and do all that. Uh, so I got my internship switched to be with him as a student two weeks into it, he threw me a polo and he said, I don't have a job for you, but we'll find one. He hired me of kind of system development and project management when I was still in school finishing at the hospital. And then I started in uh, June of 2019. I finished, I graduated school on Friday and I started Monday. Wow. Um, he also did something incredible for me. Before I was officially a physical therapist, he fronted me some money so I could buy a house. Um, and just, he, we started the relationship based on a generosity trust thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then within 
four months, I opened up our clinic in the Croc Center, which is part of the Salvation Army. Awesome opportunity. You know, I've always wanted to see the whole person in physical therapy. My dream was never to see somebody for six weeks and never see them again. I wanted to be able to build a relationship, see the empowerment of their life, be able to take the obstacle of pain away for them and see what they can go conquer. Yeah. And so having a big community center of 140,000 square feet where kids are rock climbing and it's a family dynamic. Being in there as a physical therapist is cool because past patients are always coming by and different things. They said it'd probably be about six months before we broke even. The first month we broke even, I was 100% capacity and two weeks in I hired a, an assistant. So it was crazy. And then COVID happened. So that was crazy. And then I went to another clinic. That clinic was, they called themselves the redheaded stepchild. And so we had to deal with the identity crisis of that. We had to let some people go, hire some people, um, and rebuild the culture. Then I was director over two clinics. Then uh, the owner was like, you know, with everything that you have going on, you're doing a lot, and it's really easy on the admin team. Do you think you can do that with the rest of the directors? So I said, well, the first thing is, here's the three-quarter page document you gave me for a job description. Here's the seven-page one that I hold myself accountable to. Mm. And he goes, do you think you can implement that? And I said, yes. And so he asked, how are you going to be a leader over people who have been in this field for 30 plus years at 26? I go, the only way that I know how is I'll lead by example and I'll take my stripes as I need to. But I believe that this is what we're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. With that, I got access to financial information with our company and whatnot. And there was just little pieces that we didn't know as far as um, billing rules and efficiency and different things. And so when you have a, I tell them, I was so blessed. I came into a, a relatively big company that was relatively inefficient with incredible values and great people. And so being able to walk in, spot inefficiency, which is like my one of my designs, I'd like to think two of my giftings that I hear is I can see potential and I like to maximize systems. Mm-hmm. And so when I evaluate the systems and you take 50,000 visits and there's potentially 5 to $10 on the table per visit, that's a relatively large impact. Um, so being able to clear up efficiencies, be able to, I think of directors as vocational disciples, some of the PTs as well. And so my wife hates it cause I've discipled myself at a position like four times and she thinks we're going to be without work eventually. <laughs> but, and I tell her eventually that's the goal, you know, if we can be without work in our thirties or forties, that's wonderful. Um, but knowing what I want, knowing my strengths, surrounding people, um, who fill my weaknesses, like I'm not a grammar guy. I, I care about, I'm really good with math. I'm pretty good at science. Grammar and language, I hate. So my gal, who's you know kind of like my work wife, we talk to our spouses, that's, that's okay. She's a kingdom sister, to be honest. Um, that's like her specialty. Mm-hmm. So it's great. And that idea, I think it was even on the podcast, if I'm going to live my best life, I have to surround my peop- myself with people who are living their best life. Um, so being able to pour into that and then working with our leadership team and continue to develop that, casting vision all the things. So um, living out kingdom principles in the business place is really what I try and do. And I tell people I'm already semi-retired because 90% of my job is what I absolutely love to do. And I would do it whether I'm working here or I'm not. So it's really not work anymore. It's really just living out my passion. That's awesome. And, and you have, um, let me, let me jump out of your story here for just a minute and uh, make an observation that one of the things that I hear in your story, every time I hear it is, uh, how important it was for you to have a leader like Justin to be able to um, have the kind of humility that would allow him to step out of the way for you to step in, even as a young kid with no experience. You know, that's a massive one. I, I tell Justin every day. So we were talking about this of most of my life. I've felt completely alone in this world. I've felt like an orphan. Mm. I don't feel like I belong. Um, 
I feel like I have a lot to offer, but not very many people have ever wanted to hear it, um, see it, but people will love to suck the blessing out of it. Sure. Which then makes me feel more alone because yeah. like they'll use me for utility for a time, but then you're not worth anything. Absolutely. With Justin and I got to give him like, and I, I tell him this probably quarterly, at least if not monthly, if not weekly of thank you for giving me a place that I can live out my passions and be who God called me to be. Because without that, that was probably going to be the thing that would kill me, mm. you know, like struggling with depression and my life and just being vulnerable here of that was something that started me when I was 10 mm. and something generationally that I've learned that my family struggled with. And so without a place to feel community, and that's where me to break out as a leader, like in sports, I was always, if we're winning, we haven't traveled far enough. But eventually we almost outworked the whole United States and was almost going to a world level Yeah, of that became super lonely. That was a mountain I did not want to live on because when I felt alone, that's when I was at my worst. And so if the idea of becoming the best makes me more alone, then that's not, that can't actually be the definition of being the best because that's going to kill me. Right. Literally kill me. Yeah. If the best is only measured by widgets or dollar signs or whatever, then it might be a successful measure. But you, you actually talked to me about a balanced scorecard. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah. If, if you, if you don't know how to, how to measure in your company other things besides productivity, it's a great place to start. You know, uh, another podcast, it was on uh, Brene Brown's podcast, and Adam Grant, Simon Sinek were on it, and Adam said that you can't say you're a great producer or a maximal producer if you only impact yourself and your own production. Great leaders and great producers impact a lot of different people. But how do you measure that, right? That's the thing of the intangibles, what feel like, how do you objectively measure them and reward them? You know, your, what you value can be based on the amount of time you get it and where your finances go. And most companies, when they really look at that, is they value productivity individually. Um, great companies don't, but a lot of, you know, mom and pop shops, different things, they will. So a balanced scorecard really has four different kind of arenas in its traditional form of internal processes, professional development. There is the finance piece and customer experience. So how are you impacting systems? How are you impacting the professional development? How are you impacting the customer experience? And then ultimately there's a finance piece with that as well. With our company, we have done five. We have done, uh, we added the relationship culture piece um, as not just professional development, because in our kind of healthcare academic world, that is a, definitely a separate arena compared to relationship and culture. Um, and then breaking down, okay, if I want to tackle this annually, then how do I make quarterly objectives? And then how do I make weekly tasks out of that to be able to build into that um, in each of those? So we want to have um, monthly hangouts in our clinics where clinical directors lead that. And we're seeing people outside of their production, but for who they are. Mm. And what's really interesting when you start measuring that is you can tell the people who are going to be outside your company in two to three years mm. because they don't engage in culture. They don't engage with customer experience. They're there for them. Mm -hmm. um, and there's also nothing wrong with that as well. When you need worker bees and stability just for the company, you need people who just clock in, clock out. That's what work is to them. Um, but for the, for the, for the rock stars, the culture rock stars, the people who are going to continue to drive and grow your company. I think that's the piece, our whole culture, and potentially one of the best things that came out of COVID was this idea as we have a national shortage is companies are having to evolve their culture. And you guys said that on the podcast too. The secret sauce of today is your culture and that's going to, you're going to live or you're going to die by that. Yep. hundred percent. And we just came out of conference and this is a true, I heard it spoke about on systems and Greg Rochelle says that that came from his podcast we presented on that this last week and also with your culture is you have one. You either have one by default or you have one by intention. Yep. 
Yep. Absolutely true. Before we leave Justin too far, I just, I know he's going to listen to this podcast. Yeah. So, um, I just want to say, Justin, I think you're doing a great job with a young man who's got a ton of potential. So well done being a leader who sees potential in other people. Mm. Uh, I just really want to honor that because that's, it's so easy to get the ego in check and, and let it take over and, and hold people down for fear of what if people think that he's better than me or whatever, whatever. Yeah. Uh, I, I just, I just see that such value, um, the transferable way and, and the entire business that you're a part of is better because you're allowing the people around you to be better. So good job, Justin. Appreciate that in you. Um, so you have, uh, just to highlight some couple of pieces of your story, you have a grandfather that's a pastor, right? I have, uh, a grandfather, uh, technically no, I have two grandfathers who are both loggers and they worked their tails off. One grandfather who, um, absolutely devoted to the church a hundred percent. Um, one of the most faithful people that you would ever, and he actually just passed last week. Um, but just an absolute staple. Um, you know, when I was looking to, uh, speak at his funeral, the, the acronym, you know, I, when I, when I'm going to speak, I feel like I get these visions and they kind of align. And then I just follow the visions when I speak. Um, they're kind of my key points of, he taught me how to be profitable in the kingdom. Mm. You know, I talk about profit and business and we do that, but if you're not profitable in the kingdom, I don't think being profitable in business really matters. Mm. Um, I think you just grow dysfunction. So he, he taught me based on his life on both accounts, but how pride will kill you. And then he taught me how to be a, a man of faithfulness. And being a man of faithfulness made it so that he could invest. He invested in my life financially. He helped me. He was the one who paid for my trip to go to Israel when I went with Marty. He bought me my first study Bible. He invested mm. in me, but he could only invest because he put his pride in check. He was faithful and he invested. Mm. And then ultimately his faithfulness um, and his investment into my life. And to honor that, the best way that I can honor that, especially when I study Essenes and I study what made Jesus come back and I study what God wants, is we have to be people of the text. Mm. And so for me to write the, you know, I love the parable of the the disciple asks his rabbi of why does the word of God tell us to write the word on our heart, not in it? And the rabbi says, that's a great question. It's because when your heart breaks, the word of God falls in and anchors it back together and it becomes part of who you are. And I've had a lot of heartbreak that I wouldn't wish on anybody, but that's how we become people of the text. We have to live hard. We have to put ourselves and be vulnerable and have heartbreak but we have to have the truth anchor us back together to what we stand on. Mm-hmm. And so my grandfather, he wasn't technically a pastor, but his life definitely taught me profit in the kingdom. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I bring that up because I, I remember as you were stepping even out of college and into like, Hey, this is going to be my life choice. Now th- there was a tearing for you between business and ministry. It was a massive one. Yeah. yeah I got accepted into PT school and I got a job with a church, a uh, job offer of the church the same week. <laughs> And it was like literally stand at the crossroads and look, ask for the ancient path, ask where the good way is and walk in it. Yeah, yep. Yeah, and I uh, I remember that job offer because I was mad that you didn't take it. Um, <laughs> but uh, but that being said, I, I, I think one of the, the reasons why is because you have this conviction of these kingdom principles, right? These pillars that, that um, have become kind of entrenched in your life. 30 second snapshot on that. What, what is, what are those kingdom pillars? And then maybe taking a a shot at like, how are you applying those in the business context? Yeah, it's there. There's parallels everywhere for as much as you want to see them. Um, you were actually the one who invited me that it's okay to have five and not four. So I appreciate that. Um, but the text or the truth, 
Mm-hmm. I have to be willing to, um, I have to have community. I have to do discipleship. I have to have Sabbath and I have to wrestle. Mm. And so when I look at, you know, and those come from Marty Solomon and what he does with Bayma, just incredible um, tool too. If you haven't listened to that, go check it out. But truth is, um, truth is what it is. It's relative, but it's unfolding into every context that we'll ever have. And so studying truth, I don't care if it's um, biblical truth or if it's truth about the body that we're understanding from a physical therapist standpoint and wanting to grow in clinical excellence of, okay, somebody's having a hip issue, hypermobility, they failed PT three times. The standard protocol doesn't matter for that person. The truth of their body is that's not working. So I need to dive further into that. What mechanics are actually breaking that down? I have to have a passion for truth, and I have to be willing to be humble enough to wrestle with, is it true or not? Mm-hmm. The wrestling piece, I think, was what was taught to me by you and and with Marty, was how do I actually wrestle with the context, but I have to know context. So how does the text fit in the context and the wrestling match of that? You can't do that alone. That forces community. So these start playing off each other. If uh, I have a new physical therapist who doesn't understand something that's going on with the patient, can they go wrestle with another veteran therapist to then be able to impact the community that we serve? So we're going we're gonna to wrestle with all these different things. The great mentors in our company who are awesome, and we've talked about this, when people have great knowledge of they want to create disciples, they want to pass that information down. So trying to set those things up either in business, I look at that with Justin. I definitely look at him. He'll be the first one to say, no, you know, you're teaching me as much as potentially I'm teaching you, but he is a teacher of mine. And I want to honor that teacher relationship and be a disciple of his and learn everything that I can from him because he's been in business for 20 plus years. He's been in the field for 30 plus years. Um, but yeah, you're wrestling with that. And whatever your context of business is, it doesn't matter because the truth is going to unfold that whatever you do for you to be the best at your craft, wrestle with the people who have been there previously is going to drive community. Mm-hmm. Um, once you have that and you're on that mountaintop is you have to be be willing to rest that your production does not define your value. Mm. Right. That was when I was listening to you and uh, you and Marty. And once I really decided and I started in the beginning of both your guys' teachings of, I knew I could follow you guys for like the rest of my life because you spoke exactly to my dysfunction. Um, when I started studying American Greco or Roman Greco culture and I started studying American culture, the parallels were crazy. Um, I started realizing of even Egyptian slavery that my parents had been slaves to America. Mm-hmm. We just had packaged it in a way that they don't really know it. And we put the American dream that, you know, go be whatever you want to be, but then the means to do it and what's been exemplified is step on, cheat, you know, whatever you need to do. Um, and so not wanting to be that in my production define my value. Um, so Genesis 1 is what, totally rad- radically change that. So Sabbath as a pillar is um, in businesses, our people have to be able to rest. And they need to have moments where we as leadership create environments to where they know we value them more than their production at any time. If there's an opportunity for you to go start a clinic somewhere and it's the best thing for you, you need to go do that. Because mm. we truly value you as a person based more than what you can produce. And what that does is it just creates this anchoring relationship to that. Mm. So that would be the kind of that was probably longer than what what you're thinking. No, no, no. That's good. That's those. good. I, I I love that, and I and I love uh, that you are taking these, uh, the marriage of uh, who you are. Let me let me back up and start that over. Who you are is who you are, and and I think one of the things that has allowed you to succeed the way you have is simply the fact that there's an authenticity to you that doesn't change. Re- 
regardless of the context you find yourself in. Um, and, and that's important because those, those principles aren't just ideas for you. That's actually who you are. Um, you will actually live that out. So you're, you're going to find a frame for that within. And I think a lot of people uh, that listen to this podcast in particular are, are not listening from a secular standpoint. They're listening from a, I believe in Jesus. Yeah. Um, I have some level of faith and I don't know exactly how to integrate that into my secular work environment. Yeah, and I think one of the things that was pretty revolutionary for me was I one of my jobs, I think I even just took this on in myself, was to make an organization chart for our company. Communication lines, you know, all the different power of authority, where that goes. So I do what I typically do. I spend way too much time on it, and I color coordinate it, and it's beautiful, and I spend like 16 hours, spend a whole weekend doing it, and I get done, and I look at it, and God just whispers to me, it's upside down. Mm. And I, what does that mean? And then instantly it was like, oh, of course it is. 100% it is. Ownership and leadership should be at the bottom. Key people should be just above that. Our employees should be above that. And then we serve the community at large. And then what? I'm a very visual guy. And so then what happened was ownership and leadership are going to be relatively invisible. We create the systems and we produce the nutrients for leaders in our company to do what the directors or those key people um, who are seen to do what they need to do. So we're the roots. We are the roots of the tree. Mm. And then our directors, key people are the trunks and they're going to further the nutrients to the branches of the employees. And they're going to produce the fruit that the community can take from. And then hopefully they take that seed that they taste from our company and then they go plant that. Then the vision potentially became of we're going to go replant the garden of Eden. Mm. If we're going to build God's delight through a kind of a secular business world, but we're going to allow people when they step into our business and hopefully businesses like us that they say that, that's different. Yeah. And people are drawn to it. Like kingdom principles work. They work. And, and and I think, was it you that said this last night? People want kingdom principles. They just don't know what they are. I think it was your wife. Yeah. It was my, my wife said that. Yeah. yeah. I should. She's pretty sharp. <laughs> She's sharp. I mean, look at who she married. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, uh, <laughs> boom, boom, Can we get one of those? Uh, let's see. No, it's the wrong one. Uh, <laughs> I hit the wrong one. So we we got just for those of you that are like, where did that come from? We got a new podcast studio, and this new uh, system has got sound effects. There that it is. It. <laughs> so we're enjoying uh, playing with the buttons. But um, anyway, uh, people want kingdom principles. They just don't know that they want kingdom principles. Yeah, I think 100% that's true. And the thing about kingdom principles, though, is you have to be willing to put yourself to death. Yeah, I think the way she said it was, and it's even better that I'm saying it now, is people want kingdom principles, but they don't want the king. Yes, that's exactly what she said. Yeah, and I, I, I think because generosity and kindness and compassion and, you know, uh, all those pieces, like, yes, I want to be a part of that. Yeah. Um, that just like intrinsically, I, I don't want to be a part of selfishness and people who don't care about anyone else or they're, you know, they're willing to step on cheat lie. I don't want that. And that's what we were talking about this too, of that's the part for me is people want kingdom principles until they cost them something. Yep. Right. And, and we were talking about how in America, potentially that the, the God that we uh, are against is the comfortability God. And so for me, people want kingdom principles until it impacts their comfortability God. Mm -hmm. And that is the tough piece of, to be able to experience this, um, it costs something. But for me, it's a piece of dust compared to what what you get to be a part of. Yep. Like I would, I will take that deal every day, all day, because I 
I went after the comfortability God and I went after power and I went after fame and I went after sports and all the things we kind of worship, right? I want to take a quick second and say, um, I don't remember them. I'll see if I remember them. Of kingdom principles, the four, they are um, potentially the anecdote to Alexander Great's evangelical principles of Hellenism. Mm -hmm. You can probably help me with this. Yeah. Um, But that idea of, I think it's healthcare, education, arts, and is it athletics? Are those the four? So not healthcare. So religion, yes, uh, athletics, media, and art. And so for me, I think we still live in a very Greco-Roman culture. Hellenism is still what it is. Um, but if we can take our four or five kingdom principles and live those out as the core in those pillars, we will be able to actually use those pillars for the kingdom. It's not bad that they exist, but how they're expressed and what they're used for is not. Yeah. Sorry, it's not media and art. It's media and religion. Media and art are the same thing. Um, I know somebody's going to email me with that. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, yeah. So it, it works. And, and I think um, what you're experiencing, what you're beginning to discover is when you actually implement kingdom principles, like they just work because it's how the world is supposed to function. But beyond that, it creates an environment favorable for people to actually hear about Jesus, which is far more important than any. Well, there has to become, there becomes a crisis of belief at some point. Right. If, if I'm going to come into this and I'm going to receive, you've had people, I mean, with what I say this to you all the time too, of I don't know how I can give back. I have received something that is so far outside of myself. How do I give back to that? Is that is not, that is not a basic transaction that I see in the business in, a, in, in American culture of I've experienced something that isn't, that wrecks with my belief system. There's a psychologist that says 95% of your brain framework is formed by seven. Mm. So I'm experiencing something that doesn't fit that. I didn't, I don't, I don't know what to do with that. So if, if that thing is really good, which it usually is this overflowing type feeling, I have to go rewrite that brain framework to be able to start discovering where did that come from? And when that is where the journey of truth kicks off. And for us, it being able to point to a church or being able to point to a podcast or being able to point at whatever that person's context and readiness is, is feed them what they're able to, to start that journey of truth for themselves. That is a greater win than almost anything for us in our business. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Bradley, I'm super proud of you. And thank you for this podcast, for making time being here. Um, Thanks for coming and staying at my house. We get a couple of days together, which is rare, but awesome. And uh, just appreciate what you're doing and how you're growing. And, and it's cool to to see how the Lord continues to develop you and looking forward to it. Well, thank you for having me, Aaron. And I hope just to continue to pass on what you gave me and honor you well and all the people who have poured into my life. Yeah, you bet. So if this show has been a benefit for you, like it, share it. Um, you can follow uh, the podcast, rate, review. That always helps us. If you have any questions... You can um, email uh, Aaron at Ariel-Tribe.com or uh, Bradley, if people want to talk to you more about that stuff, how would they get a hold of you? Yeah, you guys can reach out to me by email. It's Bradley, B-R-A-D-L-E-Y.Kruger, K-R-U-G-E-R at N-I-P-T dot U-S. And um, I'm even happy enough to potentially throw my cell phone out there, 208-301-8147. Text me preferably. Cause I love this stuff, man. If somebody's hungry for it, you know, that was for me, I was hungry for this stuff and it took me like 10 years of a lot of depression, different things to find you mm-hmm. and find Marty, um, that start the conversation, kick it off. And if you guys are looking for something too, of, um, whether it's on a consulting realm or whatever, we are, uh, the bioperformance Institute at large. So you can check out our website, bioperformanceinstitute.com. And, uh, if there's anything that we can do to help on any other level, as far as the physical part, we're happy to do that as well. 
Awesome. Thanks, brother. Until next time, we'll be back soon with another great episode.